You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Crump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and the SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always, rested and happy Mike the Cranky Fan. Grump, I'm happy that we did not have a loss last week. I'm glad we covered the spread against the bye week. <laughs> but I'm not happy because in the period since last you heard from me, I've suffered through two Gator losses, a loss for New York City soccer, a loss, two losses to the Knicks, and an Islander loss, a Lightning loss. So it's been pretty shitty. <laughs> How's your week been? How was your vacation week? Relaxing. Um, it's amazing how different it feels, not actually from coming off of a win, but just not coming off of a loss. Yeah. Um, it, it It's actually, that's like half of a joke, but really, it, you know, not having to actually watch this team lose and, and the manner in which they lose it's like so much stress not on my shoulders. It's great. And you know what it is too, Grump? It's like I might be a very warped individual with his priorities completely out of whack, but I was welcoming all the election news and all the chaos of the last couple of days on my Twitter timeline because that means I wasn't hearing about idiotic fans saying how Eli should be benched and how we should you know, do crazy things with the Giants. So welcome uh, respite from yeah. giant chaos. Yeah, it was it was a nice little vacation. Um, it's it's sad that that's where we're at, but that's where we're at. Uh, it's it's been quite a while. Uh, so we a lot of stuff, not a lot of stuff, but some noteworthy things happened over the bye week. We're sort of at an impasse this season where the season's clearly over. You know, the rest of the season is sort of elementary, and uh, and you can't lo- make any. And you really can't make any major moves yet until free agency starts. So it's not like baseball where you can have clearing the house trades and bringing up minor league prospects. I mean, again, 98% of the roster is what it is. Yeah, but they can, you know, a lot of what we discuss is where we go from here. You know, we saw the trade away of Snacks, you know, and Eli Apple for assets, you know, dumping contracts, getting rid of guys that this regime feels that they don't really need anymore. Um, And so they're kind of positioning themselves for – uh, a pivot in terms of philosophy and continuing to build this roster based on what they've already started with last off season. So we're going to get to all that stuff, uh, a little bit of the news that happened over the last week, but be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud where you can get all of our upcoming episodes and re-listen to all of our older episodes and follow us on Twitter you know, for all these in-between things, you know, all the things we're going to talk about, we already touched on on Twitter, but now we get to do it more in depth. Um, I'm at football underscore Grump, and he is at the Cranky Fan. And Grump, let's start, I think, by talking about things that didn't happen. You know, I after we had those first couple of trades before the deadline, I think a lot of people were expecting more people to be traded off the roster. I think a Definitely. lot of people, a lot of people expected maybe Janoris Jenkins would get traded. Some people thought that, you know. Potentially Landon Collins might be traded, you know, a whole bunch of things and things didn't happen. And let's kind of just make sure everybody's on the same page why it's very possible these trades didn't happen. Well, I think it's we, I think it's pretty obvious, right? I think it is, too, that, you know, 
they're not just giving away players and they're, they want to get some sort of value back for what you know they think they're worth. Now, some people are like, well, I think Snacks is worth at least a first-round draft pick. No, that's not realistic. But we're also not going to give away someone like a Landon Collins or a, even Jordan Norris Jenkins for a bag of balls. So well, each, this, each one of them are sort of in their own bubble, aren't they? Like, you know, you, you take somebody like Snacks and, yeah, sure, he's one of the best run defenders in the league. But that doesn't have a high value on the trade market, which is not the same thing as the free agency market. Exactly. And also, um, you know, Snacks is getting older and he has a contract too. That, that's, you know. that's number two. So when, you know, sure, Snacks and Landon Collins might have a very similar impact on a defense, but Landon Collins is a guy that you build a roster around. You strive to draft guys like this. This is what mm-hmm. you want your core to look like. And for someone to say they want him from your roster, it's fine to entertain those ideas, but it's also fine to say, well, I want a first-round pick for him. And yeah. you don't say the same thing about somebody like Damon Harrison, who is now on his second contract. Remember, teams are not going to offer up a high draft pick when they inherit a cap hit. Sure. And, and even though Landon Collins obviously is coming up on free agency and will demand more money, it's not the same as immediately taking that cap hit and then the future years. And also you know, there's no guarantee that he's going to re-sign with them too. You're not going to give up assets to rent – Exactly. And Collins. Yeah. He's just going to hit baseball. the open market again. Yeah. So it's each one of those were a different story. Snacks was expendable also from the Giants roster for a little bit less because of the talent that they've drafted the last two years with Dalvin Tomlinson and BJ Hill are both very good defensive linemen, are very young, and they've I, – I mean I don't know how much of this to really put stock in, but they feel that Tomlinson is more naturally gifted to the position that Harrison was playing in the center and not so much at end. When you get to, to things like Janoris Jenkins, you know, he's a very good cover corner, and a lot of people wanted to see him traded because they wanted something in return to get rid of a guy who maybe cares a lot less than Landon Collins. And that's that's fair to think that. But remember, when another team sees a guy that doesn't care, did they want him as badly as you want to get rid of him? And again, this is a guy with a bloated contract. Right. I mean, there is 0% chance he will be with the Giants next year at the number he's at right now. I mean, if he comes back, if they even want him back, there's going to be a renegotiation. Otherwise, he's going to be gone. I think there's more than a 0% chance, but not very high. Um, Mainly because they have nothing else at corner. Olivier Vernon was somebody that was talked about. Yeah, but you know something? That was one of the ones where almost everybody you read, every insider was like, he's the least likely guy to go. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, that did hold off. I think, you know, you can't get rid of everybody. You know, if you're going to do a rebuild. You need to keep, you know, some people you feel you want to build around, at least in the short to intermediate term. So, Well, the fan perception is – so if you had to rank – the impact of those three big free agent signings that Jerry Reese had brought in, Harrison, uh, Jenkins, and Vernon, where would you rank them impact-wise from top to bottom? Most impact to least impact. Uh, let's face say, it, all three of them are good players. Yeah, I would say based on this year alone, Vernon has the biggest impact because there's no pass rush without him. I mean, not that there really is one now, but he's the only threat of one. 
um, you know, it's to be determined without snacks how well, you know, we could stop the run up the middle or, or something. But I, I would think Vernon's the biggest impact. Yeah, I would agree. I, I know people have an issue with him because of the injuries that he sustained since signing with the Giants. I know people have an in, an issue with him because of the contract that he has. But again, remember, you're not going to be able to trade away a guy yeah. who's a top four cap hit on a team. Yeah, because I don't want the, I don't simply, want this guy anymore because of his injuries. But I'm sure you'll want him, and you'll give me quite high demand for him. So, but I mean, right. it's not even it's not even the same. I, I, think about who possibly even has the cap space to take him. Yeah. There are, there are teams that are just simply out of the running. A lot of teams, more than half, I would say, that are ru- out of the running because they can't pay him. They can't. They go over yeah. the cap. Trump, I think it's safe to say the teams that would need him the most, who are making a legitimate run, don't have the cap space. The teams like, you know, your small market teams that are way out of it. They've been in the rebuilding. They have the money. But is a guy like, you know, is Snacks really going to help a rebuilding team right now? No. Or Olivier Vernon? No. So there's that kind of, you know, it, this isn't baseball again where you just take a contract, I will pay it, we'll eat it. There are ramifications, and again, these teams are all competing for legitimate, you know, championship hopes. Most of them don't have any cap money. Yeah, those are the things that didn't happen. The Giants were active a little bit. This is probably the thing that Giants fans are most excited about. They were able to sign Rams right guard Jamon Brown, who was waived and basically was. Uh, I mean, not not a cap casualty, but just a, a victim of a, numbers. A roster space ca- uh, casualty. Yeah. I mean, they're going all in this year, and they're bringing in – they flipped – for a team that did so well last year, they flipped a lot of roster this year in this offseason. They made a lot of moves to go for it. Yeah. And there's a lot of optimism with this guy. Uh, he's a real road grader, obviously opens holes for Todd Gurley. Um, I mean, I'm excited. I, I – I have been saying since about 2009 or 10 that right guard is got to be a position of emphasis going forward, and it just never was. I mean, it just didn't care enough. Um, that right side needs all the help it could get, whether they had gotten a guard or a tackle. But I'm interested to see what he does. Uh, the The running game at this point just does not do anything off the right side. No. Grump, let me ask you a question. I've been meaning to ask you this for the last couple of weeks. You know, when we drafted, uh, when we signed uh, Patrick Omami, he was originally the thought was he was going to be a left guard, correct? And then when we drafted Will Hernandez, they moved him over. Do you think there's been you know a negative impact of that move that he's maybe better suited to be a left guard, or and that's why he was so ineffective at the right side, or is it doesn't really matter? I know you were kind of down on him when the initial signing happened, but has it been exacerbated because they moved him? Um, so Patrick Omame signed his contract on March 15th, which was a couple weeks before the draft. Um, hmm. I uh, I think they got him because of his flexibility. So he was a left guard, but had previously played right guard for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think one of the things they liked about him was his flexibility. Yeah, I think that negatively impacted him, but I also I also cautioned people when he was signed that he was the weakest link on an offensive line. You know, yeah, there, there was a reason that he was being let go and I specifically remember you saying that at the time and that was your that was your go-to point. 
Yeah. Um, sure, I was excited that they were active. You know, he was part of a well-oiled machine in Jacksonville on the offensive line. But, uh, again, you know, I think that maybe had he been on the left side, he would have performed better, A, because he's been playing that for the last few years, whereas he has to step back to years prior for the right guard. But also, he'd be playing next to Nate Solder, and I think that, you know, playing next to somebody who's skilled helps, but playing next to Eric Flowers and Chad Wheeler has probably exacerbated his flaws. Uh, But overall, I don't think that Omame would have been a big impact signing anyway. I think that he's probably a decent depth guy to come off the bench. Unfortunately, that, you know... That's probably not what's going to happen, but yeah, every signing is not to solve the problem for the next ten years and bring in a pro bowler. Sometimes signings are just to get you out of the abyss to buy time before you know you get the guy you really need. Yeah. Um, but I I am excited to see what Jamon Brown does, you know, and what uh what the plan might be for him going forward because you know as I'm watching college games, I'm certainly keeping my thumb on the uh the right guard radar. Mm-hmm. Uh so I'm interested to see. I mean, I have to think that if he performs well that this regime will want to hang on to him. For starters, he's only 25. Hmm. Um he is making less than a million dollars. Wow. Uh, the but he will be a free agent next year. Okay. So I think that his demand on the open market might be hurt a little bit by the fact that he left a competitive team and then went to a team that's definitely not going to do well down the stretch. He may fall a little bit by the wayside in terms of the market just because he's probably not going to perform as well here as he would have in Los Angeles, right? I mean, it's yeah. sort of obvious. You play with worse players and a worse team, you're not going to play as well. That might give the Giants a little bit of leverage. Also, you know... They get leverage just because they're the team that has him last, you know. Right, right. So, so right now they have him on the cheap. They're gonna have to fight with the league to keep him if they want to keep him. But they do have a bit of an advantage in that sense. Gotcha. Um, in order to sign him, the Giants released Quadre Henderson, which I thought was interesting because. I thought that Henderson had been doing quite well in the punt return game. Um, that could also be a case of... <laughs> the bar is so low that he can yeah. catch the ball. Yeah. That's kind of like going to a bar that has only dudes for like a year. And then you go to a different bar that has ugly chicks and suddenly oh. it's the greatest bar ever. <laughs> I was going to go with the... It's a bar that has Natty Light and all of a sudden they have Bud Light. It's oh, okay. Like a, you went the beer route. I went the perv route. Well, okay. it's, well, it's nice that they actually have Bud Light, but you know something? It's... I, I kind of want a nice craft beer. I don't... I don't <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of drinking Bud Light as my, you know, savior, so... Yeah. I was concerned about that move initially, but I don't know if this is windfall or, you know, was all part of the plan, but the solution was to that was twofold. For starters, nobody picked Henderson up and he wound up on the Giants practice squad, which is mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, we had forgotten, you know, or I'm sorry, I had forgotten, the Giants had picked up Corey Coleman and he's been returning punts in practice. So they might feel that when they made that decision, 
on who it was going to be that was cut to make room for Jamon Brown, they had seen enough from Corey Coleman to feel comfortable. Uh, whether that's the truth or not, I don't know, but that seems to be the direction at least for now. Yeah, I was. Uh, it definitely raised an eyebrow when they did cut him because, again, the first half of this season, we had guys who couldn't catch punts. Forget, you know. Yeah. <laughs> forget for forget asking about having Billy White use Johnson back there or something. It was you know, this have a competent fair catch. So, again, you know, people get very excited because he's able to catch the ball, but you know. It was a little surprising to see that he was the he was the roster move of all the roster moves. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, I feel okay about it now, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul. I want another address something we see quite a bit now. <laughs> the the whining and bitching of how many sacks he has this year. Yeah, I, I made this point pretty frequently on Twitter, but I'll let you go. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, guys, completely different scheme. Everything is different, you know. We thought as soon as they went to a three-four that he wouldn't be as successful on here anyway. You know, Gettleman didn't think he would be, you know, a, a great fit in this new system. But more importantly, it was getting rid of that contract. Exactly. That is that's the number one impetus of why he's no longer a giant. So you know something, and we said on this show last year we sensed a little sign big contract hangover. Last year, maybe his motor wasn't a hundred percent, you know, every down and every play. So, you know, the fact that he has seven sacks on a really shitty team, as opposed to having maybe the same amount of sacks on this really shitty team, who cares? Well, <laughs> it's it's two things at the same time, right? For starters, it's not that he wouldn't have been a fit in this defense. It's just in a three-four, he's not going to be the pass rusher. He's going to be the five the five technique defensive end who's primarily going to be containing the run, which he is very good at. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't pay the money in that contract to somebody who's the five-technique defensive end. Now, on the flip side, he's staying in the 4-3 by going to Tampa Bay, playing next to some excellent defensive linemen. But are you still going to pay that contract for seven fucking sacks? Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Uh, I mean, the overarching thing here is... That contract needed to be dumped, but yeah. especially when he's not going to be the pass rusher on this team anymore. Just right. period. Uh, you know, I, 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 people had said that Arizona wanted him pretty badly to stand up in their defense, and you know, while reports were true of that, like that was that's the truth. That was the truth when it happened. They they were trying to get him and you know make him the Joker or whatever weird position three four teams have, but. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Like it's really hard to picture Pierre Paul standing up in a, you know, two point stance more than seventy percent of the time. He's a defensive lineman, is what he is. He's not, he's not Lawrence Taylor back there, or he's not, you know, he's not Javon Curse, which was, you know, a really good example of that. It's not him. Um, there was a big piece of news that happened that we did not address in the show because it happened after. Uh, but Kyle Oletta was arrested, um, for a traffic violation in which I, I think I have this correct. He made a right turn from the left lane and then almost hit a policeman. Yeah. And apparently this wasn't the first time that he has done this and the first time he's been stopped either. Yeah. 
I believe that they were set up and waiting for him. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, there's a couple things that happen with this. Um, in my opinion, the biggest problem with this isn't the fact that he's a shitty driver, right? Um, it's that he was late to practice. Uh, you know, I, I, I just find it strange that a guy in his position isn't the first one in the building. Exactly. Especially, this is probably the biggest two weeks of his life, his you know, college and professional career, the opportunity that he might be the starting quarterback. I don't think in his wildest dreams when he was drafted or even when he's going through the evaluations you know, before the combine stuff that he could be a starting quarterback this soon in the NFL. So you're right. Why isn't he the first guy in the in the gym or, or, or at the practice facility? Or anywhere at the facility, yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I guess the other thing too is I don't know that this was explicitly stated or just implied, but it felt like that was his usual routine was to show up around 8 o'clock yeah. instead of like, you know – Davis Webb, I, I, for his credit, was there at like five in the morning, right? Watching film. Eli Manning is still there at five in the morning. Yeah, I mean exactly. that's a guy who's been around for fifteen years. You know, probably gets the benefit of the doubt or anything. He's still the first guy in the building. Yeah. And you know, these guys are. You, you want to be mentored by these guys, but you know, something it's only what you accept, and you know, it, it's just kind of a red flag to me of what kind of work ethic the guy has. It's yeah. not that one issue where, oh, the alarm went off late one day, I had to run. This sounds like, you know, if the cops are waiting for him at a specific time, they're not going to be there from 5 in the morning to 8 in the morning. He knew exactly when he would show up. Yeah, and again, I don't know that that was stated, but it definitely felt implied based on the articles I had read about it. Yes. Um, you know, Hugh Jackson was fired in Cleveland, and that's sort of a whole other – that's for the Just Browns <laughs> podcast, but – um, for for his credit, you know, I watched Hard Knocks. I, I know you're not a big fan, but there was a scene, you know, in one of the early episodes about where Hugh Jackson was asking Baker Mayfield when he showed up to practice that morning, and he said something like, "Yeah, you know, I saw seven. it." Yes, yeah, so he said something like seven, and he said, "Do you know what time Tarad got here?" And he was like, "Oh, Tarad has his own his own thing." He's like, "Well, you better get your own thing." Right. And from then on, Baker Mayfield was there very early. You know, quite honestly, it was the only thing I really respected out of Hugh Jackson the entire show. Yeah, I mean that's a whole other conversation. Right. He terrible, but you know that's sort of the thing. I understand the difference between Baker Mayfield as the first overall pick and Kyle Aletta, but if anything, you got to work harder. Of course, right? as as the fourth round draft pick. Well, a twofold thing. As a fourth-round pick, you need to stand out in the crowd, you know. And also, I had the same conversation on my other podcast, Mark and the Cranky Fan, about Gator football. These guys are not insulated in their own little bubble. They follow social media. Yeah. They they if they don't listen to sports radio all day, somebody's telling them what's being said. So Kyle Aletta knows that he had a pretty decent chance of taking over. If not the starting job, for sure the backup spot with the expectation of being playing later in the year. It's just the, the judgment is just so poor. And it's not even a question of worth ethic. It's just judgment. I mean work ethic is something you you develop. Judgment is just what you have in your brain. And it, it's just something that 
you know, you file away for you know future reference. Um, the question we have, Grump, is what does this all mean, short term and intermediate term? Well, short term, I think it might have lent into well, the arrest itself means nothing to me. Um, if Kyle Oletto were to go in there and play his ass off and be Russell Wilson, well, fuck it, sign the guy to a long term deal, give him the money, whatever. Get him a fucking chauffeur. He can't drive? Fine. Whatever. Get a chauffeur. Show up to work, though. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I don't care about the traffic incident or the arrest. That doesn't bother me. Um, the work ethic thing, you know, if this is a systemic problem with him where he shows up very late, he's not the first one in the building, may be one of the reasons why we have not seen him. It might be why he's number three in the depth chart. Yeah. If it's not the sole reason, it's definitely a contributing reason. So for people crying why they're not seeing him, remember that you don't know everything. Neither do I, but the coaches definitely know. Guess There's what? enough of them there with experience to know when a guy is and isn't ready. Guess what? We know next to nothing. Yeah. You know, even even the reporters know next to nothing. Practices are closed off pretty much when training camp is over. Maybe they'll get a little dog and pony show every once in a while during the season, but it's stage choreographed. Show you what we want you to see. You know, we don't have access to assistant coaches. You know, you hear from Pat Shermer. But, you know, what goes on behind closed doors, we'll, we'll never know. But you, all you could do is see the results. And as bad as Eli Manning has been, and it's not all his fault, you know, He's starting again, and it, that's part of the best chance to win, but also if the other chance is you know, properly prepared and ready to go. And this, you know, sort of smoke, there's fire from not being ready. This is a reason why, possibly. Yeah, it's possible. But I don't think this arrest had anything to do with the decision to start no. Eli Manning. No, no. no. Yeah, no. Um, so here's, here's another thing that happened around the league. It's not Giants related, but I want to know what you think. Um, there's been a lot of chatter in the last week about the possibility of Jason Garrett being fired. Um, this was something that you had called a long time ago, mm-hmm. like in the summer, I think. We, the, summer, called, the summer of 2013, I think I said it. <laughs> Eagle Eye over here calling the Jason Garrett possibility. Now, here's the thing. Jason Garrett is a bad head coach, right? Poor decision-making, maybe not a leader. Um, but would you like him as the offensive coordinator? Tell me something that's been extraordinary about their offense for the last eight years. Other, I mean, than, can... other than developing a, you know, having the, you know, a really good offensive line just with talent wise having a you know Tony Romo was as much as we used to bag on him you know he's a good quarterback a pretty good regular season quarterback um, you know an underutilized Des Bryant having a really good running back but what can you tell me from the last decade of their offense that says I want an offense like theirs well I don't think it's that I mean when you think about the the problems the Cowboys have had do you think it there when I think of the problems that the Cowboys have had in the last eight years, they were in cap fucking hell. You know, 
partly be due to Jerry Jones breaking the rules, and other also partly to do to them giving out bad contracts. Yeah, which you know, you when know. I when I think about the problems the Cowboys have had, I don't think that they're really roster related. I don't think that their problems are on game day. Their problems happen long before that. They're, they're, they're devoid of talent because the cap money is all over the fucking place. You know, they're they're up against the cap ceiling every single year. Uh, you know, obviously they give, they give know, away they give away first round picks on trades like it's candy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. And and head coaching decisions, I think, have been the biggest problem. When I look at the offense under Tony Romo, you know, like you said, as much as we used to make fun of him. I would never count out what Tony Romo's offense could do. You know, I have reservations about Dak Prescott. I've made pretty quite pretty pretty clear. Uh, yeah. And but again, to their credit, this was a team that had twelve wins two years ago on the back of an offense, a defense that had no talent whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think personally that Jason Garrett is probably a very good offensive coordinator. I would not mind having him, especially over Mike Shula. You know, at this point, I think Mike Shula is brought in, you know, maybe to help with the quarterback situation, but is mainly there as a placeholder anyway. And, right. you know, Pat Shermer's calling the plays. Yeah. The right. fact that he's not calling plays with a first year head coach in the last 10 years it's been since Pat Shermer's been a head yeah. coach. That says everything to me, that, that Mike Shula is just a placeholder. So, you know, I think Jason Garrett, should he be fired and not considered for a head coaching position, a former Giant player, I believe, right, does have ties to the area. You know, could mean something, Would might have at least some sort of informal relationship with John Mara. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a possibility. I Again, it was just a thought that came into my head while I was, you know, talking to coworker. Well, I guess the thing I think about is, Coaches that have been a head coach for quite a while, you know, at least six, seven years, and Garrett falls into this category, how many of them go back to the, uh, you know, coordinator ranks and are very successful? I mean, would you consider, is Jack Del Rio considered a successful coordinator after all the time he was Jacksonville's head coach and Oakland's head coach? I think he's a better coordinator, yeah. As defensive coordinator, yeah, I think Jack Del Rio is very good. I was surprised we didn't want him. Most of these guys aren't head coaches for a long time. After that, they either retire or right. they just stay as head coaches somewhere else. Like, for instance, if Jason Garrett were to get fired, I would not be surprised to see Tampa Bay try and get him as head coach. Mm-hmm. Or Cleveland, for that matter. Right. So the only example I can really come up with is really Jack Del Rio. Mm-hmm. Um, someone like Nolan, he wasn't a head coach long enough. Uh, you know, these other guys you mentioned bounce back and forth. They've probably yeah. been head coaches three times and, and coordinators seven times. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess. I mean, again, he's had a deal with a with a kooky owner who thinks he's a GM. And like I said, even these trades they make, you know, they're giving out first round picks. So you're they're always mortgaging the future for the present. They do that with with bad signings, bad trades, bad draft picks. Uh like I said, I, I guess I don't know how the Cowboys, how you last 10 years define them, what kind of offense they are. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's also part of it, right? I mean, he had to alter the offense to go from a straight-up, I wouldn't say air raid, but definitely throw first offense with Tony Romo yeah. to a 
you know, power running game. Yeah. Uh, and ha- was successful, I think, offensively with both of them. Yeah. I mean, you look at this team now, we make fun of them for the talent that they have because they don't have any. That's no fault of his, unfortunately. But, you know, what they were able to do with so little, especially my my big thing is how good they were on offense two years ago with nothing on defense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, they also, that was a team that didn't make mistakes. You know, their turnover ratio was pretty good. They weren't really banged up, which is a big thing in this league for success. True. Yeah, you're true. You know, it was kind of it's like right. a perfect a perfect storm of things that happen. You can out kind of outkick your coverage, so to speak. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think he'll get another head coaching job somewhere. I just he think probably the way this, will. Yeah. And he de- I don't think he deserves another head coaching job. I think he's a I think he's I, a bad head coach. I agree with you. But this is kind of a copycat league where, you know, as bad as you think somebody is, I mean. Did anybody think Pat Shermer would be a head coach again after the, you know what he did in Cleveland? I mean, there's a lot of examples of guys that, you know, Pete Carroll. Did anybody think he'd be a head coach again? Good Multiple point. chances before he hit it. So, interesting, interesting thought. In any case, the Giants have a game Monday night in San Francisco for what will be one of the worst Monday night football games of all time in which the 1-7 Giants travel to San Francisco to play the 2-7 49ers, playing uh, Nick whatever. What's his name? <laughs> Nick. Well, I'll get it. I'll get it. Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins. Yeah. The, the um, tweet of the week last week was the Giants passed up Nick Mullins in the draft to draft a running back. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, Giant fans who are my age can remember an equally awful – Monday night football game. Bill Parcells' rookie year when the Giants played in St. Louis to play the St. Louis Cardinals. I think both teams were like 1 and 6 or 1 and 7, and we tied. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so, this the worst kind of ending really hark- to any football game. Yeah, so this kind of harkens to one of the worst uh, primetime games the Giants have ever played. And, um, Unfortunately, I have to care about this game because my wife, <laughs> lovely and talented SF Mad, is a 49er fan, and she will be wearing her Jimmy G jersey with the leg brace on it. Yeah, I was going to say the cast. Yeah, it's a, it's a full body cast uh, uniform. So, unfortunately, I have to have you know a marked interest in this game. So, um, yeah, not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's there's not much to say about this game. San Francisco's pretty banged up. Uh, not not so much in numbers, but in key positions, right? You know, Jimmy Garoppolo went down with a torn ACL very early in the year. Even Tom Savage is hurt. C.J. Beathard, I think, is hurt too, right? Running back got hurt in training camp. Yeah. They, they invested a lot of money in. Yeah, and, I mean, it's it's kind of a shame for them because you know there were high hopes for this team. You know, not you know, maybe making a possible wild card run. You know, with you know with all the enthusiasm with uh with, with Garoppolo, but uh, but don't let last week fool you. You know they look good against Oakland. That team is. I've never seen a team outwardly tank as badly as they are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's hard for me to really say how this is gonna go. In contrast to San Francisco's injury situation, the Giants are coming off the bye 
pretty healthy. It looks like everybody is practicing. Um, I don't know how much impact immediately Jamon Brown's going to have, but I, I mean, we don't even know if he's going to start. Yeah. But I do think that the health factors in a lot. I think the Giants might actually win this game, believe it or not. Um, it's one of the la- one of the, their last chances to to look on paper and say they have a good chance. Yeah, and I think it's something like twenty to seventeen. You know, San Francisco has a really good defense, but I I just think that this is going to be one of those blundering games, and I think a lot of the the rest the Giants have had will play to their advantage. I, I think that's mostly it right there. I think so. You know, something when things are going so bad, sometimes you just need to get away. And I yeah. think you know the bye. I would say it couldn't come at a better time, but you know the season's over, so maybe it should have came after you know week three or week four really? when, the, when the wheels started coming off. But uh, yeah, this has all the markings of an ugly game with an ugly score. One of those you know twelve nine games or something. Oh, ouch! If it goes, yeah, like that, that might even. I mean, watch. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a reality check for a rookie quarterback where, you know, uh, yeah, just gross. Um, is there anything you expect to see from the Giants that kind of gives you like, you know, get it, it's you know a bad opponent and you know getting into garbage time, but is there any potential out there of like a mismatch or something where we can something can look good and give you hope for next week at least? No. <laughs> oh, um, <God. laughs> um yeah, I mean, I think that we might start seeing some flashes of pass rush. Um, I, I, I know that San Francisco offensive line is actually pretty good, but Western Richburg might not play. Um, oh, imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, Western Richburg is injured but did practice limited but has a knee problem of some, some degree or order. But, yeah, I mean, this offense is not very good. Anyway, I mean Nick Mullins is nobody. Uh, you know Alfred Morris, come on, Pierre Garcon right there. I'm like the biggest Pierre Garcon hater in the league. I might be the <laughs> most overrated wide receiver receiver of all time. It's just there's not a lot of weapons. This Giants defense is actually pretty damn good, um, and I think it's one of those things where we might see some pass rush. You know, we might see a scared quarterback hanging in the pocket too long. Throwing stupid shit. Um, offensively, yeah, I, I think I think offensively against San Francisco's defense, they might think that they have a good secondary because they do. But at this point, using Richard Sherman to try and lock down Beckham is just not going to work. And I think that we'll see some some Beckham magic if we can see if Eli can get some time to throw. Yeah, which will be a key because they have an excellent defensive line. Yeah, I'm looking right now. They're 18th in the league in uh, rush defense, 22nd in pass defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, last year was embarrassing when you lose to C.J. Beathard. Now I was at that game, yeah. and it was pretty embarrassing. If you lose to this quarterback who, you know, oof. I mean, again, we're at the race for the tank, but it's very painful during that race, and you know, it does come with a cost of embarrassment. Around the league, Tampa Bay is playing Washington. What's your take? I don't know about this Washington team. <laughs> you know, um, let's see. Tampa Bay's got absolutely zero pass defense. They've been, they've been atrocious. Washington is super banged up, though. Their whole offensive line. 
let's say Washington wins, but it's not going. They're not going to be. You know, Tampa Bay's defense is in the sieve like it has been. Let's say they win something like twenty-eight ten. No Fitzmagic. I I think Washington is just too fucking beat up right now, and Tampa Bay is able to capitalize. Um, but it's not an indictment on Washington, nor is it an endorsement of Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Philadelphia plays the Dallas though. Philly wants to kind of get back to where they were last year. The season's getting uh, old pretty quickly for them. They have to start winning games. Yeah. It's in Philly. Yeah. I think this is the game where Philly finally breaks out. And, uh, you know, with the Jason Garrett noise a little bit, uh, Dak has been awful. They looked terrible last week. That offense doesn't do anything. They actually cost me two confidence pools, those pricks. Like the one time in my life I actually have to root for Dallas – and they fucked me over. So um, I think I think Philly lays the wood on him. I'm going to say something like 31-10. I'm right there with you. Same exact analysis. Yeah. Um, Dallas, I think this is where we see the upturn of Philadelphia and the downturn for Dallas. That we yeah. Had predicted, we, we predicted them at the beginning of the year where they would end. I think this is the start of that. <laughs> Yeah, and for like I said, for Philly, it, it's getting late early. So they, if they really want to make a move and you know win a division or at least to secure a wild card spot, they got to start winning right now. So, well, as always, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can listen to all of our stuff. If you subscribe there, all of them will show. All the episodes will show up. You know, as soon as we post them, you'll be notified, and you can listen to our lovely voices and <laughs> genius opinions. Are, yes, the face is made for radio, so you don't have to deal with us on YouTube or anything. So maybe in the future we'll do that, but right now we're way too ugly. Yeah. Um, beauty takes time. <laughs> um, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump, where I have more instant reactions to these things that we're talking about, though they are less detailed. Catch me as always on Twitter at the cranky fan, and you can also catch my companion podcast. Mark and the Cranky Fan, where we talk all things Florida Gators. It's, you know, that's he's spiraling out of control as well. So it's just more gloom and doom with the Cranky Fan. So pick your poison where you want to hear me from. So, um, and as always, you can catch this program on iTunes and SoundCloud. Be sure to subscribe, download, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your girlfriends, tell your gumars. Tell tell total strangers. What do I care? Yeah. Be nice. Um, Leave a nice five-star rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more Giant fans we get to interact with. It's been a lot of fun the last few weeks. It sounds like people are actually finding us on Twitter. And, uh, you know, we're we're sifting through all the garbage out there, the wasteland that is the distraught Giant fan and, you know, trying to make some sense at all, agreeing with the people we know, know what they're talking about and trying to set people straight who are talking out of their ass. So our job is to make sure that we keep all you people off of the ledge when times look bad. Yeah. We also understand that when you have a bad take that it's fed to you by someone who should have a better take. Exactly. We'll see you on Wednesday uh, as we'll probably record the Monday night game review episode on Tuesday night. Depends Um, on how, depends on how we drunk we are from being at a bar. You know, when we have a, a big emotional game like this, maybe maybe we'll get on the cans and do it really late, but I doubt it. Yeah, it's it's much more likely it's going to be a Wednesday show. Um, 
But enjoy the game. Enjoy the weekend. Let's go Giants. Giants.